0: Join us online. Uh, I want us to think about something this morning. Um, launching into this discussion, I want us to just think about um, just what are some indicators that people give uh, people in the church, church people give uh, that they're Christians. And I'm not talking about characteristics. Uh, I'm not talking about characteristics of a Christian and like things like if you really know somebody. But maybe you're on the outside, you don't really know somebody. But just some things that people. Uh, that people will do. And so for instance, things like, uh, you know, like Christians often wear Christian t-shirts, right? And so we have shirts because, you know, God is important to us. Our faith is important to us. And so we wear maybe a t-shirt or maybe, uh, now I know we've moved past this. And so if you're, you're, you know, you're old like me, you remember what bumper stickers are. Uh, we've moved past that now that we've got like vinyl stickers you can play that are actually decent looking and you can place it on your windshield or whatever that uh, whatever that might be, but uh, back in the day we had bumper stickers, uh, so I'm glad we've moved past that. I don't really know, but uh, so just thinking about like uh, we'll wear jewelry, like so maybe we we'll wear jewelry with a uh, with a cross on it, um, and you know I know that's not just specific to uh, specific to Christians. I mean a lot of people wear crosses that aren't Christians, but that's that's another thing. Uh, we uh, you know we maybe maybe like praying at a meal, and so maybe if you're at a restaurant. And you see somebody stop before they eat their meal and you'll see them pray and you think, okay, well, you know, there's this assumption that, that they're a believer. I was thinking, um, I was thinking this week about how, um, how we even have our own language, right? Like Christians have their own language. It's been coined. I didn't come up with this, but it's called Christianese, okay? And so I was just thinking about all the different words that, uh, that we use that other people don't use. Like, we're the only ones that use them. And we expect people to know what we're talking about. So, for instance, I mean, now this list is not exhaustive. This is just a few things that I thought about this week. Backsliding. When's the last time you heard somebody say backsliding outside the context of of this? And so, like, when people, you hear somebody say, like, if you hear somebody say something about backsliding, immediately you're like, okay, well, you're speaking my language, right? But, but there's this whole, because like, like, what does that mean? If somebody's on the outside listening in, like, what does it mean to backslide? Is that, like, what, you slide down a hill, you slide, like, we, we go, we're going to the water park, or like, what is this, you know, what does this mean? Uh, here's another one. Uh, fruit. Now, we all, like, people talk about fruit all the time. Agreed? You know what I mean? Like, people talk about fruit. Fruit. People know what fruit is, but not the way we talk about it. So when we start talking about bearing fruit, like, you know, now, now Jesus talked a lot about this, but he gave some context, but we'll just throw it out there oftentimes, be like, well, they're really not bearing fruit, or man, they're really bearing fruit. And like people on the outside maybe would think, does that mean like they planted a garden? Like what, you know what I'm saying? Like all these, all these things, secular is a wonderful word. Nobody else uses that word, right? So, but it's like when we say, Well, that's secular music, or that's a secular movie, or that's a. And so, hey, if you're new in here and like this is your first time to walk into church and you're like, What kind of language is this? Forgive us, please. Just forgive us, okay? But you understand what I'm talking about. Like you're hearing these words and you have no idea uh, what we're talking about. This is a good one hedge of protection. Is that something you plant in your yard? You know what I mean? Like a hedge of protection. Or we'll say maybe traveling mercies. Traveling mercies. It's like a new version of a, of a passport or a visa. You know what I'm saying? Like, did you get your travel mercies? Or uh, Here's another one. Sanctification. Now, again, we see this in Scripture, but we'll throw around things like, man, really being sanctified. Which is, is true, but again, outside the context of, of this. Fellowship. When's the last time somebody you worked with invited you over for a fellowship? You know what I'm saying? Like if, if we, like if I went to, when I worked at the fire department, if I went, walked into the fire department, I told the guys I worked with, hey, uh, why don't y'all come over Saturday, I'm going to be having a fellowship. What do you think they would do? They, they would look at me like I had two heads, right? And it's like completely and totally crazy. Uh, quiet time. Is that like time out? You know what I mean? But like really important for me to have my quiet time. Well, I don't really. Uh, so words you'll hear in church, tithing, repentance. Okay, important words, things that God wants us to do. They're important to us. Uh, me, and, me and Matt and Rod, who, uh, who's the pastor of Harbor City now, the church plant, which another wonderful church word. Who knows what a church plan is? Is that like this? This is that? A t- you know what I'm saying? Like, so a church that we planted here in Gulf. Goff- I mean, we could just go all day. But uh, we were out. We were eating. Uh, we were eating out one time. We were at Chili's, and so it's me and Matt and Rod. And Rod was paying, which is very uncommon. But <laughs> hey, right? Exactly. Tony never benefits from. From these wonderful opportunities of grace, so Rod was paying, and it's one of those uh, pay-at-your-table deals, which is, I think, is amazing. But uh, he, so he pays, but he needs the receipt, and so he like calls the server over, and he says, uh, he says, "Man, I can't get this. I can't get this machine to repent." <laughs> and the guy looked at him like, "What?" Like what, is, like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, okay, so he's a pastor and he speaks a different language. Uh, so what he really meant to say is he can't get this machine to print his receipt. But, you know, repent because it's just so common and it's so fluid. But here's, here's what I want us to think about. If we're not careful, what we can do is we can communicate that church is just for church people okay does that make sense and so we we can we can create this culture that you know you have to act a certain way you have to dress a certain way you have to you have to talk a certain way you have all these things okay and and so then this week I started thinking about okay well outside of my context what would this look like for me and so I started thinking about okay who golfs golfers golf Right? Who goes to golf courses? Well, golfers go to golf courses. And so every year, this this is, oh man. So uh, if you ask Tony or you ask Matt, they will be quick to tell you that uh, Brian is not a golfer. Okay? But once a year, once a year, because of the Joseph home, I will go out and support because I love the Joseph home and I love Jesus, not because I love golfing. But it kind of makes me feel weird. Like, because, okay, golfers if, in the room, you have your own language. You dress a certain way. W- when I show up to the golf course, I'm really uncomfortable. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm really uncomfortable, and um, not so much around Matt and Tony, because I'm horrible, but they're not much better. <laughs> okay? So it does help that I'm, I'm with them. Uh, this year, I have one goal. Uh, so we were playing best ball, which would—if you're not a golfer—you're like, okay, what is that? But on language, uh, so my go- my goal this year was to use at least one of my shots. And on the 18th hole, we used one of my shots. So praise the Lord, right? But but there's this thing, like when I go when I step up to the to the golf course. Like, I get uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, there's this, this own language. We're talking about pars and birdies and, and eagles. We're talking about divots, and we're talking about this, and we're talking about that. And, and people are dressed a certain way. This year, I, uh, I borrowed my son's golf clubs. So back in the day, I like when I was young, I played a little bit. Now, I was never good, but I wasn't embarrassed to show up on the golf course. But uh, then I had kids. And life entered the picture, and Brian, does. you know, I hadn't golfed in 10, 15 years until I started playing with the Joseph home, and then it's literally once a year. And I try to get out of it every year, but Tony and Matt, they just hold my hand to the fire. But I borrowed my son's clubs with the hope of two things. One, that it would help my game, and two, which it didn't, but, right? One, that it would help my game, and two, that uh, I would kind of fit in, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not just using some hack clubs from the 1970s, right? And so, like, the, some currency, you know what I mean? But but here's here's the thing. Like, I started thinking about how, you know, golf is for golfers. And oftentimes, and, and I don't know that that's implied upon people who show up and don't know what the heck they're doing, um, but that's how I feel. And so I feel like I don't know that church people purposefully make other people feel that I don't think that's the case but sometimes just because they don't know everything about it like there's this feeling of like I don't know that I will that I don't know that I'll fit in there right and, and so we want to make sure that we um, that we are not that, that we understand that what we're communicating to the world around us that church isn't for church people church is for broken people in need of God's grace Okay? And not just grace to come to salvation, because that's what we've been talking about the last several weeks, right? That it's not we want to redefine grace. What we're hoping is is that through uh, this study and this season that God would expand our understanding of grace, right? So that that we understand because grace isn't just necessary and, and evident at the moment of salvation, but grace is necessary for for every moment of every day for the believer. Okay? And so that's so important for us to understand. And here's the thing. If this is going to work, I'll, I'll tell you. And if it's not, then we're in trouble. And it's not. Um, so David's running back and forth. Um, here's the thing. Church is most, if you've got your listening guide, you can grab that and just, uh, you can write this down. Church is most appealing when the message of grace is most apparent. Right? Right? And so when, when the message of grace is most apparent, that's when, that's when church is most appealing. That's that's when Jesus Christ is most appealing. And so remember, as we gather around and we, we focus in this holiday season, as we focus this holiday season, let's remember like it's an opportunity for our idea and understanding of grace to be expanded. Because it is ongoing. It is it is it is how we come to faith but it's how we walk in faith just as much. In 2 Timothy 2 uh, in 2 Timothy 2:1 um, this is what scripture says. It says, "You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus." So this is Paul talking to Timothy who's a pastor at this point in time. He's like, "Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus." That grace is necessary to sustain you, to strengthen you as you walk out your faith and you seek to live out this life that God has called us to, okay. And so today we're going to be today we're going to be in John chapter one. I, I really wanted to spend some time just talking about um, just Christmas. I don't want you know because Christmas is is this week, um, but also how this impacts the life of how this impacts the life of a, of a believer. And, uh, and so what we, you know, a lot of you will be reading with your, uh, you know, with your family this week. The most detailed account we have of the birth of Christ and the first Christmas is found in Luke, the first couple chapters of Luke. And so many of you, you'll be reading that with your family this week. Um, but I wanted to focus in on, on John chapter 1 because what this does is John kind of takes a step back and, and he's uh, giving us an overview but he's giving, telling us some really important things about Jesus and how he entered the world and what that meant for mankind and what that means specifically uh, for us. But not only so, and then we'll look at like just the definitive marks that we see that he talks about in this passage and then the implications of that for each one of us as we live out our faith daily, all right? So here's, here's what we need to do before we move on. Tony has mentioned this the last couple of weeks. We've defined grace but it's important for us just to be reminded uh, as we go into this study, okay? So for for the purposes of our conversation this morning, the, the definition of grace is God's favor towards the undeserving. God's favor towards the undeserving. So as we've said, it's you know, God gives us what we don't deserve. That's what grace is. God giving us what we don't deserve. So, for instance, uh, his love, his unconditional love. You and I, we, we don't deserve the love of God. Forgiveness. Like, we, we have rejected and rebelled against God. Like, that's, that's what we've done. We've committed high treason against him. We don't deserve to be forgiven for all the rotten things that we've done. Like, he gives us relationship with him. He's given us eternity with him. We are completely and totally undeserving of that. Agreed? And then the mercy is the flip side of that. Not giving us what we do deserve. Right? We don't deserve the forgiveness of God. We deserve the wrath of God. But he withholds the wrath of God. But that's what we, that's what we deserve. We don't deserve to be eternally with him right? Grace. But he withholds eternal separation from him. You see how the two go together, but grace is giving us what we do not, uh, what we do not deserve. All right, let me pray and we'll, uh, we'll continue. All right, we'll dive into this, this passage. Lord, we're so thankful for, God, we're so thankful for your word and the opportunity that we have to uh, open it and to hear from you And God, as we continue to study through this series, I pray that just as we've said, that you would expand, God, expand our view of you, expand our view of grace. God, grow us, shape us, mold us, stretch us, challenge us, convict us. Lord, do what you desire to do in this time and do the things that only you you can do. God, we confess, we humble ourselves before you in this moment. And we confess that we are incapable of accomplishing anything eternal. But you, you can do anything. And so I just pray that you would do in this time, that you'd work in us, that you'd help us to see Jesus for who he is in the life that you've called us to. We love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in... In John chapter 1, that is, uh, again, if you have that pew Bible, that's page 1220. But um, in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and we'll just kind of, I'll lay out a few points as we move through this text, but uh, then we'll come back to a few things. In John chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All right? So here, here in the beginning, just pause for just a minute. Here in the beginning, what we see here is that there's this, uh, and maybe, maybe you've read this and you don't understand, or maybe... Uh, Maybe you do. But the point is is that he's making it in the beginning was the word. And so the word that is being spoken of there is Jesus. Okay? We can see that. Uh, like if you skip down to verse 14 real quick. In verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father. So we can see that the word is Jesus. And then then John is making it very clear that Jesus is not just Like anybody else. He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. That Jesus Christ is God. Okay? He's making that extremely clear for all of us in this moment that he's no ordinary man. We see this in other places. uh, We see this in other places in in the Bible. We see it in Colossians 1, uh, verse 15 and 16. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Okay, so we see that, that he was, he's the image of the invisible God. He is, he is God in the flesh is what, what Paul is saying there. And that everything was created through him. It's the very same thing that John says here. And so the Bible is the written word of God. Jesus is the incarnate word of God. Okay, we see God in the form of, in the form of Jesus. In Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 19, Jesus is referred to as the word of God. And so it's, it's, he, is, he is the word. And here's, here's the thing. Just as our words reveal the things that are in our heart... Just as our words reveal the things that are in our mind, that Jesus reveals the things that are in the heart and the mind of God. He is the living, the living word. Okay? Pick it up in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And so we see John the Baptist here, okay, and understand something. The reason why John includes this, john different John, not John the Baptist, the reason why he includes this is because John the Baptist had been prophesied in several different places in Scripture. So he wants to make it clear that in his... The prophecy about John the Baptist was that that John the Baptist, so both in Isaiah and two times in Malachi, there are these prophecies that there's going to be one as a forerunner to the Messiah. And so John is coming, declaring that the Messiah is coming. All right, and so, so John here wants to make sure that we understand that exactly who Jesus is, and John is just fulfilling the prophecy. John the Baptist is fulfilling the prophecy that had been spoken of in Isaiah and in Malachi. All right, picking up in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then verse 14 again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as, uh, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what we see here is we see that, That the word became flesh. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what we're celebrating right now that the Messiah had come. That everything that we read about in the first three verses, like he took on flesh for the sake of of mankind. And understand this that he didn't stop being God in that moment. Okay? He didn't cease being God, he merely took on humanity. Okay? That's important for us to, to understand. All right, let's finish this text out. Verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is the one, uh, this is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Verse 16, for, him, uh, for, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God. Who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And what that last verse is saying is that Jesus has revealed and explained God in a very, in a very real way. You want to know what God's like? A lot of people are like, well, I just want to know what God's like. Well, look at Jesus. It's our clearest picture of who God is. That's why in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, the Bible says, He's the radiance of the glory of God that he's the, the express image, the express imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so we get, uh, that's, that's who he is, okay? That's what we're celebrating. That's, that's who came to reconcile us to himself, all right? So let's, let's just pick a few things, of the, just, the, just snapshots of, of grace that we see in this passage. So if you, read, uh, if you read verse 1 through 3 again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And then you, you slip down to verse 14 again, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's what I started thinking about. I started thinking about um, just like the most beautiful place on planet Earth. Now, I, you know, I think, so if you just think about the most beautiful place you've ever been the most beautiful thing that you've you've ever seen in your entire life think about that and for each of us it might be different we've been different places I I was thinking how uh, Tony would say that Hawaii is clearly the uh, the best most beautiful place on planet earth and uh, and so there's a picture of Hawaii now could you imagine waking up to that every single day of your life like that's all you need. And that wasn't just like home. I mean you had rule and reign and you could do whatever you wanted anytime. Like the resources you had were unlimited, like unbelievable awesomeness all the time, right? It's just amazing and beautiful. It's the most most perfect place you can imagine, okay? And then imagine that you decided that, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna pack up and I'm gonna go to now I've I've been a lot of places, and I'm not saying this most desolate place, but one of the most desolate places I've ever been is Haiti and just what I've seen with my, seen with my eyes. And so let's imagine that you left that, and this is where you decided to, to come. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm just saying, like, you need to get two vivid pictures in your mind, what you're leaving and where you're going. They are two completely different things. And so you're going to help a group of people but they don't really know they need help, nor do they really want your help. They think they want your help until you come, And then they're like, "Well, I don't want that kind of help. I want you to do something different." right? And so like there's this whole idea. I mean, think about this. Think, think about how, um, think about how the king of kings, he left heaven. He left perfection. And he, he put on flesh. And he stepped into humanity, and he stepped into our world. I mean, he was a child. Before he could turn two years old, a king decreed that we're going to kill all male babies under the age of two in an attempt to kill Jesus. Sign me up for that. Right? Not to mention all that he, like, you, you start reading through the Gospels, and you start looking at all that he had to like even the people that loved him with good intentions like the disciples, man, Jesus was patient, right? Like he was patient. And I'm grateful for that, but the point is like he he dealt with just he was tested daily with Peter, daily. Peter tested him daily. But he stepped out of perfection, stepped into a broken world. He was tempted, he was betrayed, he was mocked, he was beaten, He was crucified. He bore—I mean, stop and think—he bore the weight of the sin on himself. Like he bore the weight of that. He was separated from the Father. He had never experienced that. Like he did that. Okay. And so, who in here deserves what Jesus did? See, that is—that is a wonderful picture of what grace is. Right? That he—he left heaven. Creator of all things and stepped into, stepped into our world. Uh, in Philippians 2, the Bible says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As Matt was praying this morning, he he said uh, that Jesus came to serve us so that we might know him, but he also came to serve us so that we might serve the world. Right? And so that's important for us to, to understand. If you look at verse twelve and thirteen, this is this is unbelievable grace right here. Verse twelve. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, uh, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That that He gave those who would believe in Him the right to become children of God. Now, stop that. I don't know if y'all looked in the mirror before you came to church this morning. Hopefully, you did. Uh, But. I don't have hair, so I don't have to worry about that. But I do have to look in the mirror. But when I look in the mirror, you know what I see looking back at me? A broken, sinful man who rejected God, who's rebelled against Him, who, who gets it wrong every single day. And, and Scripture says for those who would believe in Him, that they... That they They have the right to become children of God. That, golly, like I I am stubborn, I'm hard headed, I'm everything, right? That points to the fact that I don't deserve this unbelievable grace, but He gives us the right to become children of God. That is amazing. We should never move past that. And that should not only impact us at salvation, but that should impact us every single day of our lives. That is an unbelievable truth. Every time we get up, every single day, we look in the mirror and we're like, you're a mess, God is good, right? How can I declare the goodness of God as I go about my my life today? And we created this problem that we couldn't fix. And so he stepped in to do what we couldn't do, to fix the problem, the separation that we had between us and God. In verse 4, Scripture says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, John says later in, in chapter 10, he says, I have come that they may, may have life and life abundantly. Right? And so we see this picture. It's like Jesus came that we would have that we would have life. Uh, next section on your listening, God, the presence of grace reveals the presence of life, and the presence of life reveals the presence of grace. The presence of grace reveals the presence of life, and the presence of life reveals the presence of grace. And so it's it's twofold. One one produces the other, but then that produces the same thing in our and so Jesus came that we'd had life. He wants like his desire for every single person in this room is that you would have life in real life, fulfilling life, the life in which he created us for. Not chasing after all the things, trying to find life and other things, but the thing that we were created for. Like he wants that for us. And that comes through grace. It is made available to us through grace. Okay, it's by grace that we are saved, through faith. And so when we understand this grace, when we receive this grace, when we experience this grace, when we walk in this grace daily, then that leads us in turn to be givers of grace. So when we embrace this for ourselves, it impacts us, right? This life produces grace, so that we then impart grace on the people around us. Our lives as Christians should be marked by grace. Understand that. That our lives as believers. Like if we have, if we have been impacted and experienced this unbelievable, amazing grace. Then our lives should be marked by grace. We should be, we should be imparting grace upon the people around us. Agreed? And so we should be the most graceful people on planet Earth. We have experienced this kind of grace, which should lead to us being the most graceful people walking planet Earth. Plain and simple. All right. And then listen in in verse 9. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And so he makes the point here that Jesus is light. And then he says that gives light to us. Like he not only is the light, but then what happens when we enter into relationship with us, that he imparts his spirit in us, that he gives us his spirit. The spirit of God is now living inside us. And that, like we're little lights. You know what I mean? Like we're we're to shine our light. And, and Matthew makes this uh, these two verses in Matthew. He says this. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under A basket, but on a stand. And he gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is the light. He brings the light, gives light, and then we're to shine the light wherever we go. All right? You and I are God's primary vehicle for dispensing the message of grace. At least that's the plan. Right? That you and I, Christian, are God's primary vehicle for dispensing the message of grace. Tony's mentioned this before, but, um, you know... We're, and I'm not saying that, you know, a lot of the principles that we're founded on, those things aren't still evident in, in our in our country, but we are no longer a Christian nation. Okay, that's important for us to understand. I'm not saying there aren't Christians here and that we don't have a voice and we but I'm just saying like the days of the, the United States of America being a predominantly Christian nation, like those things that, that it's left the building, okay? And so here's what I know. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe church has lost its appeal or maybe christianity has lost its appeal and so like maybe people are thinking well church you know it had its day or maybe church isn't my thing or christianity and like that's your thing that's good for you like maybe so so maybe those things are kind of losing their appeal in our culture and in our country but let me tell you what has not lost its appeal that is grace when you start when you, start giving God, when you start giving favor to people who are undeserving of that favor, like nobody's going to be like, yeah, I don't want any part of that. Grace has not lost its appeal. And so, so that should be an encouragement to us. And so what we need to come back to is we need to get back to being people of grace, being the most gracious people. And, so, uh, and, and think about this. Like we, we call ourselves Christians because of Christ. Right? We call ourselves followers Because we want to follow Jesus. And so that means that we should look like him and do the things that he does. And so how did John describe Jesus? This is how John described Jesus. Grace and truth. He said it in verse 14. He says, His glory is the glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he says it again in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. This is how he described Jesus. Like he could have said anything in this passage. This is how he launches into the Gospel of John. He says, Jesus was grace and truth. And so if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we need to be people who are full of what? Grace and truth. Like those should be defining markers in our lives as, as believers, right? And so what, is, like, what does this specifically look like? What does it look like for us as we, you know, Christmas is this week and uh, like, okay, we're, you know, we're focusing in on the birth of Christ, but what does it like practically look like for us? What does this mean? What does it look like? What, is, what does it look like for you as you leave here today? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for just a minute and then we'll, we'll unpack just a few things as we close out our time together. Let's pray. God. You know every single thought that is in every single mind of every person in this room. You know what you desire to see in every heart, in every life. And so I pray that, that in this moment, as you expand our view of grace, God, that you would show us where you would have us to be a people who are more gracious. And that may look differently for every single person in this room. And so I just pray that you would, God, give wisdom, give clarity for the ways in which we specifically, me specifically, can be people who are more like you, that are full of grace and truth. What does that look like? I pray that your spirit would move in this time and help each one of us to see. Amen. Amen. This has been said here many times. Uh, it will be said again because it is so true. It is so true. But when we know who we are, then we know what to do. Okay? We, we can't ever forget this. It's, like I said, it's been said many times. It will be said many times again. Because when we don't know who we are, then we don't know what to do. Agreed? And so we know who we are. And, it's, and look, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get sidetracked in the world in which we live. Because the world is constantly telling us, hey, you'll find life in this. Right and and just constantly barrage by every from every direction constantly all day every day like find your identity in this this is going to make your life meaningful this is going to give your life purpose do this buy this have this go this place right and so it's constantly and so we we can get sidetracked so easy so easy. Okay, And so it's important for us, we've got to keep in front of us who we are. That's what The Bible is constantly reminding us who we are. When, uh, like it, when you read through any book that Paul's written, it's like he spends the first two or three chapters reminding us who we are, and then he gets into, okay, well, this is what we do. And so we've got to know who we are. And in Christ, you are a recipient of grace upon grace. Okay, we don't ever get past that. Look in verse 16. He says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Like you and I have received this ultimate grace, the most unbelievable gift that we cannot fathom. We've received this unconditional love of God. We've received forgiveness. We've received unbelievable generosity. Like we... Like, it's unbelievable. So when we know who we are as recipients of that, like, that should impact how we move forward in our daily lives. Right? And so that's what we're talking about. So let's just, let's just have a conversation about, real quick, about generosity, love, and forgiveness. Generosity, love, and forgiveness. So God, God bought us, he purchased us with the blood of Christ. He shed his blood so that we have the right to become children of God. I don't know if any, there's anything more generous in all, in all history, right? That there's nothing more generous than that. Like, he, he died our death so that we may have life. That is generosity at its best. And so that means that you and I should be people who are generous people, right? Right? Like we should be generous. We should be generous with our time. We should be generous with our money. We should be generous with our things. We should be generous. Every everything we have, we lay before God and say it's, it's yours. I, I was thinking about how um, there's a group of ladies from this church. Every year around Christmas time, they'll uh, they'll get together and they'll all go have dinner, um, which isn't uncommon. We have ladies that get together and have lunch every single week, and so that's not uncommon. But around Christmas time, uh, they get together yes they're having dinner but it's not really about having dinner yes they're getting together but it's not really about getting together they get together for one purpose outlandish generosity so this past week they they came together and they're like okay well we're all going to bring uh what we can to leave uh they're going to go out to eat and they're going to leave this uh tip you know they're all going to bring cash and they're going to put it in a card and they're going to give to their server And uh, this past week, they went out to eat, and they tipped their server $1,500. So, I don't know about you. I've eaten out a lot of places. I've eaten some really great food. I've had some wonderful servers, right? But I don't think I've ever had anybody give me $1,500 service, right? It's not like she did $1,500 worth of work, and we're like, thank you, well-deserved. No. Do you think she's like in that moment now I wasn't there but in that moment she's thinking there I don't deserve this like I don't I don't deserve this this doesn't make any sense like this is we know just like we didn't deserve the generosity that God poured out on us okay and so this is just who we are this is just what we do right so church Christianity may have lost its appeal, but I can promise you, grace has not lost its appeal. In that moment, she's asking questions, right? And so it's just a perfect illustration. Like our, and not just once a year, but our lives should be marked by opportunity. Each and every day we have an opportunity to impart this generosity. Love. Love. Now, we have our definition of love, and then God has his definition of love, Right? And so, and, and, and think about this. A lot of times we'll just say, I love you. And we mean it, right? But, but Jesus didn't just say he loved us. Verse 14, he put on flesh. He left Hawaii and came to Haiti. Right? He didn't just talk about it. He did it. That's why in 1 John three sixteen, it says, by this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And then look at the second part of this verse. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That that we get a hold of this. This isn't just I love you. This is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. That's the kind of love. That's the way Jesus loved us. And that's the way that Jesus is calling us to in turn love others. And so, everybody in the room, like we can all, we can all learn from this and figure out ways that we can better serve the people and love the people around us. It's an, it's an unconditional love. We didn't, and oftentimes I think that, um, that, you know, people will love um, for what they can get in return. Or they love to be loved in return. And whenever somebody doesn't love us in return, then we're like, what the heck? Right? Like, hold on. Like, I love, like, I love you. And, I, and, and some of you, you know what I'm talking about. Like you, you have been unconditionally, sacrificially loving. And it has not been reciprocated. And let's just understand that, look, that's what Jesus did. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, and so God has called us to love, not for what we get out of retur- in return, but because that's what Jesus did, and we're to model our lives after our Savior, right? And so uh, next one, forgiveness. This is a fun one, right? So we oftentimes base uh, whether or not we will forgive somebody on whether or not we were wrong or whether or not they deserve it, Right? Well, they don't deserve forgiveness. Well, guess what? Romans 5 8 is just as true for this application as well, for why we were yet sinners. We didn't deserve that forgiveness. We didn't deserve to become children of God. We didn't, like, that's, we didn't deserve that. And so often around this time of the year, we'll, we'll gather together and we'll focus in on the birth of Christ. And we'll, we'll sing these songs that we've been singing for years and years and years. And yet there's unresolved forgiveness in our lives. There's unresolved forgiveness in our families. We'll gather together and we'll put on a, put on a fake face and pretend like everything's wonderful for Christmas. And then we'll go on about our, our lives as it passes. And so understand something. That we have been forgiven. And we were undeserving, completely undeserving of that. And so for maybe for you this holiday season, it's like, you know what? There's some, some forgiveness that needs to take place in my life. There's some forgiveness that needs to take place in my heart. Because this unforgiveness has led to a root of bitterness. And it's not only affecting that relationship, but it's affecting all my relationships. And I can't be who God's created me to be until I resolve this and I have no choice because God has forgiven me. Right? And so when we start to impart these kind of graces and you think about, okay, well, what was Jesus full of? Both grace and truth. See, we oftentimes want to barge in with the truth. Right? We want to barge in with truth and a lot of ways just kind of shove truth down people's throat. That's not what Jesus does. You read through the Gospels, it's It's grace that opens the door for truth. You've heard the saying that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Like, if you don't care about me, why would I listen to anything that you have to say? But if I know that you love me, if you have sacrificially loved me, if you have imparted unbelievable generosity upon me, if you've forgiven me even when I didn't deserve forgiveness, you know what? What you have to say, I want to hear, I want to hear. And grace makes a way for truth to enter the picture. And so it's a wonderful opportunity. And so, yeah, no, we don't withhold truth and just go around showing grace. It's grace and truth. But grace opens the door for truth. And the last blank on your, last blank on your handout, because everything I just said is extremely difficult. Okay? Just in case you were wondering, sacrificial love, generosity, and forgiveness is not easy. I don't pretend to believe that it is. But grace enables what God expects. Grace enables what God expects. Right? That's the, that's the beauty of this, that we don't have to do this alone. That Jesus says, and lo, I'm with you. Like, I'm with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Second, pre, Second Peter 1 says this, His, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his eternal glory and excellence. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life. He has given us everything that we need. He is get, like, What he's calling you to is impossible. It is hard. This kind of grace, living this out on a daily basis, it is impossible and it is impossibly difficult. And that's why he says, I've given you everything you need. I've given you my spirit. It's my power at work within you. And that's why it's so important for us to rely on the grace of God daily. We don't ever move past that. And so think about these two things. The the way that God's plan of salvation, like the way grace entered the world, think about this. It was in the most unexpected way. Grace entered our world in the most unexpected way. I mean, there weren't trumpets sounding when Jesus was born. He wasn't born in a palace to a a king. He was born in a manger. In a manger. To a teenage girl. The world is going on, and here they are. Dirt floors. Like, that is remarkable. But here's the thing that's just as remarkable. That God's plan for continuing to carry grace into this world is just as unexpected. It's it's unexpected the way he came. And it's unexpected the way he continues to take grace to the world. Because the way his plan for continuing to take grace to the world is you. It's me. That's what he's called us to. As we model our need for grace every single day, and as we impart grace on the people around us every single day. It's crazy. And it is awesome. It is awesome. Let me pray, and we'll have a time of response. God, thank you for...